The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Samuel, and we're going to read from chapter 16, verse 23, through chapter 17, verse 29. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom. And all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a great slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground." And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we will drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogal. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. 
So both of them went quickly and came to the house of a man at Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimahaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so as Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Job's mother. And Israel and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd, for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and ask for his mercy and grace. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful for the gift of your word to us this morning. And I pray now that as we consider your word together, that the same spirit who has inspired and preserved these words for us, that we may hear them today would soften our hearts, would write them upon our hearts. And as we hear this word, may we respond to it in obedience and faith. Wash us by this word and conform us to the image of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue in our series in 2 Samuel, we are in the section of the story, the section of the history, where we see what God said to David through the prophet Nathan, we see that coming to pass. We see the fulfillment of that word. You'll remember that when Nathan confronted David after the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then first degree murder and taking the life of her husband Uriah, when Nathan confronted David, he told him, That because of what you have done, the sword will fall upon your household. And then he warns him, behold, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. 
And God warned David that this would be the consequence of his sin. And as God said, it came to pass. What God's word declares, what God says he's going to do, he does. And it happened. And here David is experiencing it. And as we saw last week, the the sword falling on his house, we saw it fall definitively. It separated David from his son. It separated Absalom from the anointed king. And that's what we saw last week. At that point, the breach was inseparable. The sword had fallen. And Absalom now is entrenched, not only in his opposition to his father, not only in his opposition to the king, but to the Lord's anointed. He is now the enemy, the declared and entrenched enemy of the Lord's anointed, and that means he's an enemy of God. And we need to remember that as we're reading this. He is God's enemy. Now that's Absalom. He's been moving away. He's separated. But then David, who, yes, on the ground has been separated from the throne. On the ground, he's been separated from Jerusalem. He's back in the wilderness. But as he goes into the wilderness, he is being drawn back into the faith and the life of God that he once knew. He's returning to God, even as he leaves Jerusalem. And we see that in the Psalms that he wrote. We we saw it in the Psalm that we just heard. Psalm 3, David says, You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. He knows that, even as he's in exile. And the psalm that we open our service with comes from the same period in David's life. And remember what we heard there. David cries out, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you, and my heart is faint. And then I love this. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's where David finds himself. He's being led to the the rock that is higher than he. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. So David is clinging to God. He's drawn back to God, even as Absalom is resisting and moving away. And when we look at this section of 2 Samuel, and as we look at chapter 17 today, there may be a temptation, and it would be worthwhile to read a text like this and consider, okay, let's look at David and what's happening with David. Let's consider the lessons we learn from David. Let's look at Absalom. Let's look at Ahithophel. Let's look at Hushai. What lessons do we draw from their lives? What can we take away from that and apply it to our own lives? That's worthwhile. It is worthwhile to consider those things. There's wisdom in that. And in fact, these books are written to teach us. And and we learn wisdom as we consider the way in which these men conducted themselves. On the other hand, if you look at verse 14, and especially the second half of that verse, notice what the writer tells us. The Lord had ordained the defeat, ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm against Absalom. Now, we don't always get that theological insight into the history. And it is very significant that at this moment, the writer of the history, the divinely inspired writer, tells us what God is doing in this. And it's a reminder that we need to pay attention. Our focus is on what what God is doing. What's the Lord doing in this? What's he doing? And so this morning, we need to consider 
the sovereignty and providence of God that is revealed in this text. We always need to keep that in mind when we're reading scripture, but especially when the text tells us to keep that in mind. Tells us to look there, consider what God has ordained, what he is bringing about. So that will be our focus. And as we consider that, I want to consider the passage in two halves. So the first half, verses 1 to 14. And what we see there is the relationship between God's sovereignty, what he has ordained to happen, and prayer. Yes, God ordained to defeat the council of Ahithophel. But David also prayed that God would defeat the council of Ahithophel. And David made plans for the defeat of the council of Ahithophel. We need to consider that. God's sovereignty, but also our prayer and our action under God's sovereignty. And it's no different for us. We have the word of God, just as David had the word of God. He was listening to God's word. He prayed in terms of it. He lived in terms of it. And God ordained based on what he had said he would do. So that's the first half of the passage. In the second half, we see the outworking of God's sovereignty, the outworking of God's providence. Yes, David is working to defend and preserve his kingdom. And he's working to provide for those that are still loyal to him. But what we see in this chapter is God is defending David. God will preserve David's kingdom. God provides for David. And so it is for us. We have a king who is sitting on the throne who defends us right now and who provides for us right now. So that's where we're headed. So if we look at the first 14 verses. And here what's reported is the defeat of the council of Ahithophel. And it's important that we we consider this in the light of the last verse of the previous chapter. Remember what we heard there. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that Ahithophel said was the word of God, but It was as if the Lord was speaking because Ahithophel was so shrewd, so wise. As he assessed a situation, as he calculated the risks, and as he considered the outcomes, he was always right. He was wise. He was shrewd. When it came to matters of politics, when it came to military matters, he understood the situation on the ground. And he knew what to do. And he had proved himself. So people trusted his counsel. Notice that even what we read in verse 14, the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. In this instance, what Ahithophel counseled Absalom to do was the right counsel from a military perspective. David was tired. He was worn out. Had Ahithophel and those 12,000 troops gone, they they would have taken David. His, His counsel was good in that sense. In other words, it would have worked. Doesn't mean it was godly. Doesn't mean it was just. Ahithophel is an enemy of God. He's an enemy of God's anointed. But it was the right counsel. Had Ahithophel, or had Absalom followed Ahithophel, it would have worked. But it didn't. Why not? Because God ordained to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. That's why not. God had ordained it. He'd commanded it. Ahithophel's counsel is not going to prevail. 
Yes, on the ground it may work. It will not. Because I've ordained to defeat it. So yes, God has ordained what will happen. And Hushai was there to give other counsel, which Absalom followed instead. That's how it happened on the ground. But notice that David had already prayed for this to happen. And if we go back a few chapters to 2 Samuel 15, 31 to 34, and remember at the, at the end of the uh, service last week, if, if you looked at the focused reading, I, I wanted you to consider what this text looks like in the light of David's prayer. So hopefully you've done that. You've, you've considered this. So 2 Samuel 15, starting at verse 31. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David knew exactly what that meant. He knew the implications. And David said, he prays, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He cries out to God, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. But then we read on. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then, David says, you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Now notice what David has done. He has prayed that God would defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And then he immediately makes a plan for the defeat of the council of Ahithophel. He prays and he plans. He prays and he acts. He doesn't just pray and then do nothing. He prays and then he acts on his prayer. Now why is he praying this way? And, then, and why is he making these plans? Because he knows God's promise to him. He knows the word of God. He doesn't just send Hushai there as a, as a secret agent because of expediency or because he thinks, well, this might work. No, he does that because he knows God's word to him. Remember God's promise back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God has said to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you. Notice that. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. I'm going to do that. He shall build a house for my name. Do you think Absalom has any concern to build a house for his name, for the name of the Lord? He's got no concern for that. In fact, we will hear next week, he's concerned to build a monument to his name, not God's name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now David knows full well that that's not Absalom. Absalom has established his own throne. Absalom's taken things into his own hand. That's not God establishing the throne. So David knows, David knows God's perspective on the situation. He knows he's in the right. He knows the word of God. He believes it. And he's praying in terms of it, and he's acting in terms of it. And so it is for us. We know the word of God. We pray with our Bibles open. We know the promises he's made. We know what he's commanded us to do. We pray in terms of those promises, and we act in terms of those promises, and we trust that God will bring about what he's promised, and he does, and he will. 
So think of the times in which you are interceding for others. You're praying for others. You're aware of a need. Yes, pray for that person. But then don't just do nothing. Maybe you're the one to go and respond to the need. What are you doing to respond to that particular need? Perhaps you're concerned about your marriage. Yes, pray for your marriage. But then seek counseling. Work at it. You may be concerned about your children. Maybe you're older and you've got older children and you see some of them are are turning away from the Lord. Or you've got younger children. You're praying for your children. You want them to be in the Lord. You want them to remain in the Lord. Good. Pray for your children. But the Lord also commands you to raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So don't just pray for your children and then not discipline them, not teach them. Neglect family worship. Maybe you're looking for a spouse. You're looking for a husband. You're looking for a wife. You're praying for that. You're asking God for that. Good, pray for that. But then it's okay to go out and, you know, have a cup of coffee with somebody. Do that. Live in the direction of your prayers. Live in the direction of your requests before God. It's probably not going to be the case that you pray and then do nothing and somehow your husband's going to walk through the door one day. You might have to go out and meet him somewhere. You might have to go out and meet her somewhere. Let's say you're looking for work. You're unemployed. Yes, pray that God will give you employment. But you're also pounding the pavement. Got your resume out there. Working hard to find a job. Perhaps you're concerned for friends, colleagues, neighbors, family members who don't know the Lord and you are praying for their salvation. They're lost. They need the Lord Jesus. You're praying for them. But don't pray for the lost and then never share the gospel. Never talk to them about Jesus. So you see, David knows the word of God. He knows the promises of God. He prays in terms of God's word and he lives in the direction of his prayers and under God's word. Lord, defeat the council of Ahithophel. Hushai, go and defeat the council of Ahithophel. The Lord ordained to defeat the council of Ahithophel. Now David knew that God's promise was not being fulfilled in Absalom. He knew how to pray. He knew how to act. At the same time, he also knew that what he was experiencing was God's providence, was God's sovereign purpose for him. He knew that that Nathan had warned him, the sword will descend on your house. One from your your own house will bring evil against you. He knew both. He knew God's promise that he would preserve him, defend him, deliver him. He also knew he was in this place to begin with because of what God had said would happen. It's all unfolding according to God's ordained purposes. Now, in the moment, on the ground, at that moment, and especially when we get to the end of chapter 16, it looks like Absalom is one. It looks that way. He's got it. He's got the people with him. He's got Ahithophel with him. He's in Jerusalem. He's taken the throne. Everything in David's circumstances, he looks out at what's going on around him. It looks like Absalom has succeeded. 
David doesn't know how God is going to work out his purposes. He doesn't know how God is going to fulfill his promise in 2 Samuel 7. He doesn't know how that's going to happen. He knows that it will happen, though. He knows that. And I know when we come to a text like this, and even what it says, okay, God ordained to defeat the council of Ahithophel, in order that the Lord might bring harm against Absalom. This is God's sovereignty at work to defeat and bring harm. And as we consider God's sovereignty in history and how he's, un, how he's working out his purposes, we don't always understand how that's happening. We don't always see it. And sometimes as we are considering this, God's providence, God's sovereignty, God, God commanded this to happen. It was happening just as he ordained. And yet, isn't Ahithophel free? Isn't Absalom free? Isn't Absalom, you know, he could listen to one advice or the other. If you were to ask Absalom, why did you listen to Hushai instead of Ahithophel? He wouldn't say, well, I just felt divinely coerced into it. No, he wouldn't say that. But the reason God's word reveals God's sovereignty to us, that God ordains what happens, everything that happens, God ordains. The reason God's word reveals that is not to give us a philosophical headache to try to figure out how how all this works. That's not the purpose of it. And the purpose of a text like this isn't for us to think about, okay, philosophically, how do we work this out? God's doing what he's commanded. People are free and they're acting certain ways. The purpose isn't for us to try and figure that out philosophically. The reason that God's word reveals his sovereignty as it does is to comfort us, to assure us. Kids, think of that that song that you sing. Maybe you know it. He's got the whole world in his hands. That is true. He does have the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, sister. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. That is true. He has you in his hands. And what God's word reveals about his sovereignty is not meant to twist and try and sort out philosophical knots. It's to comfort us, to assure us. He's got us in his hands. He keeps his word. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. God is working all things, all things for the good of those who love him, who live according to his purpose. David knows that. And so when we consider God's sovereignty, remember, it is the sovereignty of our Heavenly Father who is watching over us, caring for us. And he's defending us and providing for us. And that's the second half of the chapter. We see there God's defense and God's providence. He defends his people. He protects them. He preserves them. And he provides for them. Now we can think of God defending us, God preserving us, God protecting us In the sense of, you know, he'll keep us from harm. We're safe, we're secure with him. But we always need to remember, every time we pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, every time we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to remember that there are those that oppose his kingdom. There are those who oppose his will. There are those who work evil. And every time we pray that, we are asking for their destruction, their defeat. So we can't kind of think of this just in terms of, okay, he'll keep us safe. It also means he's going to 
defeat our enemies. And that's what's happening here. We see the defeat of Ahithophel in this chapter. We'll see the defeat of Absalom in the next chapter. God will destroy his enemies. And he defends us by destroying our enemies. Here we see the, the end of Ahithophel. And what I want us to see in both Ahithophel, and we'll see this also in Absalom, is that Ahithophel's sin has put him on a path. And that sin leads him to destruction, which God intends. Absalom's sin has put him on a path. And that sin leads him to destruction, which God ordains, God intends. And the very sin that put Ahithophel on the path is the very sin that will destroy him. And we see that in this chapter. Ahithophel was shrewd. He was wise. In a very worldly, earthly sense. He understood politics. He understood how, thing, how, how people relate to one another. He had, he had that shrewdness, that wisdom. He very calmly and coolly calculated what was going on with David and made a plan for his assassination. The Lord's anointed. Very calmly and coolly made that calculated plan, and it would have worked. But his counsel was defeated. Again, he, he understands the implications of that. All right, that would have worked for Absalom. He's going this way. He's going to be defeated. Hushai is giving David time to regroup and rega- re- regain his strength. Ahithophel knows that. As soon as Absalom follows Hushai's advice, Ahithophel knows Absalom's days are numbered. He's going to be defeated. My days are numbered, therefore. So with the same shrewdness, the same wisdom with which he calculated the death of David, that same wisdom he applies to himself. He goes home, he puts his house in order, he takes his own life. He used that wisdom to try and take the life of David, he applies the same wisdom to himself and takes his own life. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Ahithophel is reaping what he sowed. The way of the wicked will perish. Now Absalom is going down the same path. And it's his own sin that puts him on that path. The path that leads to destruction. And if you consider Hushai's advice to Absalom, he is exploiting the very sin in Absalom's life which caused him to take the throne in the first place. There's two sins in Absalom's life. Vanity and a desire for vengeance. That's what brought him to the place where he is at this moment. Vanity and vengeance. That's why he took the throne. And notice that the, the, the counsel that Hushai gives Absalom feeds that sense of vanity and feeds that desire for vengeance. So if you just look at the text, verse 8. He begins, you know, Absalom, you know, you know. Yes, Ahithophel has made his plans, but you know that your father and his men are mighty men. You know. You're wise. You get this. And then he goes on, verse 11. My counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you. 
Think about that, Absalom. All Israel from Dan and Beersheba. You know, from St. John's to Victoria. Be gathered to you. As the sand by the sea for multitude. You know, Ahithophel wants to take 12,000. How about the, the, the multitude of the sand of the sea? How about that army? And not Ahithophel leading it. How about you lead that army? You go to battle in person. Well, Absalom likes the sounds of that. Yeah. And his, 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 his bloodlust, his desire for vengeance. Look at verse 12. And so we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. We're going to kill them all. Ahithophel just wants to take David. Kill them all. They're all they all went with David. Kill them all. If they escape to a, a city, we'll, we'll, we'll tear down the city. He feeds that sense of vengeance in Absalom. Absalom says, I'm going with that plan. I like that plan. It's the plan that leads to his destruction. Again, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Now, there is a warning here for those of us who are believers. We're in Christ. We cannot think that we can just live our lives as those who profess the lordship of Christ, who put our faith in Christ, who declare that he's our savior. We can't expect to just take a path that led by our own sin, not deal with it, and think that's going to lead to blessing. You know, Paul says in Romans, some say, let us sin that grace may abound. Then Paul says, no way, that is not the way to think about things. David did that. Look where he is now. The sword. God's sword fell on him in his house. He, he knew the discipline of the Lord. And you can read Psalms where he is crying out. Read Psalm 38. He is crying out that the Lord would lift his hand. It's too much for me. Your discipline upon me. And some of you are walking that direction. You think, well, it's okay. Lord will forgive me. And you don't know the pain that is ahead of you. And not only the, your pain, but other people's pain. Look at how many lives are destroyed because of David's sin. So there's a warning for us too here. We will reap what we sow. Now David cries out that God would relieve you know, lift the hand of his discipline. He cries out, something Absalom never does. He cries out for God to deliver him from his sins. So when we read these Psalms, especially the Psalms where David is from this period of David's life, he is crying out and asking God, deliver me from my enemies. He's praying that. He's right to pray that. He's also praying, Lord, deliver me from your discipline and deliver me from my sins. And both of those prayers, and you can read through the Psalms, and those Psalms are answered in Christ because he is the one who does deliver us from our sins. And this morning, if you're a believer and, and you're walking in unrepentance, remember what he says. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith and your trust in Christ, well, you're on the path that Ahithophel was on. You're on the path that Absalom was on. You're God's enemy. And the sword that you face from him is the sword of judgment. And if you think of the book of Revelation, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He ransoms, he redeems for himself a people by his blood. But he also comes. He's named faithful and true. He comes on a white horse to judge, to go forth in judgment and to make war. And he's making war against you. And on that day, you will face his wrath. But now he stands before you as the lamb. He stands before you as your savior. Turn to him. Submit your life to him. Know the steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiveness that David knew, that we know. So God defends David. He, he, he defeats the enemies of David. He defends us. He defeats our enemies. But then he also provides for David. And you know, if this were a movie, this is pretty exciting, that second half of this chapter. You know, the, the words getting back to David somehow. And Hushai doesn't even know what, which way Absalom is going. He didn't hear that. He doesn't know if Absalom followed him or Ahithophel. Gets the word out. You've got Ahimeas and Jonathan, and they've been sighted. What do we do? They get hid in the well. You know, the, the soldiers, they, they pass on. They get out. They get to David. It's, it's, it's exciting. Sometimes the outworking of God's providence and sovereignty is quite exciting. It's interesting. The life of believers is not boring. Many twists and turns. But that whole network of people that are loyal to David and working for David, those are all evidence to David of God's providence. He knows the Lord is with him and is working for him because these people are with him and working for him. That's how he knows God's providence. It's God's providence on display. But then the way that this chapter concludes... I just want to read these last few verses for us again. Verse 27. When David came to Mahanaim. Now remember the significance of that place, Mahanaim. In Genesis 32, as Jacob is coming back to the promised land and he's afraid of Esau, before he crosses the Jordan, he sees another camp, the camp of the Lord, a camp of angels. And he's reassured, the Lord is with me. Two camps. That's what Mahanaim means. Two camps. Well, David goes to that place. He knows, he knows the Lord's camp is with him. The place of two camps. And there, Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites. An Ammonite comes to him. Not from Israel. An Ammonite. A foreigner. A Gentile. And Makir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogalim. Three men from the most unexpected places come to David. Brought beds. They're tired. Nice to have a bed when you're tired. Basins. It's nice to have a shower. We're going camping uh, in a couple of weeks, and there's no showers where we're going camping, so I'll experience what David experienced here of the appreciation of a basin. 
earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey, curds, sheep, cheese from the herd. Now, this is bounty. Just what David needs. He's going to regain his strength. Hushai's brought him time. Yes, Ahithophel knows that David is weary. He's worn out. So does God. God knows that too. God provides for him. He regains his strength. For David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. These three strangers, they knew that about David. And they provided for him. But the Lord knew what David needed. And he provided what David needed. Just at the right time. And our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Even before we ask him. And remember what the Lord Jesus says himself. In Matthew chapter 10. It's verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground. Apart from your father. Whatever happens with the sparrow does not happen apart from your Heavenly Father. You know, sometimes as you're looking through a contract, you know, you hear the phrase, the devil's in the details. No, he's not. Your Heavenly Father's in the details. Not even a sparrow will fall without, apart from your Father. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. I have no idea how many hairs are on my head. Why it matters, don't know. The Lord knows how many hairs are on my head. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows, of course. The Lord knows our needs. He provides for us. He provided for David. But notice how he provided for David. Through the ministry of other people, people around him. Yes, in your own life, when you're in such a time as David, God does sometimes raise up some people out of nowhere to come and provide for you. But that's not the usual way in which God works. God's providence is usually expressed. It usually comes to us through our brothers and sisters in the church. So we are, each one of you is a minister of God's providence, of God's blessings to one another. And I know that maybe a few months ago when, you know, the, the lockdown was a bit tighter and we were concerned to check in with one another, and I've heard from some of you how you got to know each other a lot better during that time. You're calling one another and you get to know one another's needs and you're looking out for one another. I was good that that was happening. But what about now? And I'm concerned that, okay, we're, we're able to gather together on a Sunday morning. And now I can get back to ignoring my brothers and sisters throughout the week. I sense that's happening. And this trial is not over. And a lot of us are still struggling and working through things. And it may not be practical needs, but, you know, we're going through a hard time. Some of us are going through a real trial in our faith. Some of us are really struggling with how to, how to respond. We're, we're still concerned about what the future holds. So are you checking in with one another? You know, a phone call, how's it, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? What do you need? Can we spend some time together? But notice here that Shobi, Makir, Barzillai, 
They didn't send a messenger to David. How's everything going? Anything we can do? No, you're good? Okay. No, they saw the need. And they met the need. They didn't have to be asked. And so it is for us. Are we paying attention to one another? And I know how it is. Somebody calls you. How's it going? Well, it's okay. You know, we're doing okay. Doing okay. That's our usual response. Even when it's not okay. Let's, let's see one another. Let's be aware of one another. Some of us know that others are not okay. We don't need to ask them, are you okay? Just say, hey, I'm coming over. What do you take in your coffee? Let's spend time together. Let's pray together. So let's remember that. We are ministers of God's providence to one another. Yes, our Heavenly Father knows our needs. Yes, He will meet our needs. But just as God's ordained purposes were, were, came to pass through David's prayer and action, so it is God's providence is ministered to us through the love and care and concern of one another. So let's remember that this week. Now as we come to the Lord's table, I'm reminded of what David prayed in Psalm 23 where he says, he prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, that wasn't just a nice poetic thought. What we just read is God preparing a table for David in the presence of his enemies. And whatever, whatever you're facing this week, whatever you've been facing, whatever you know you're going back to on Monday morning, whatever opposition you're facing, the Lord has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And then David says, he anoints me with oil, my cup overflows. And remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, that this cup that we drink, the cup of blessing, is it not a communion and fellowship with the blood of Christ? It's the cup of blessing. David says, my cup overflows. This cup overflows with blessing. And so every Sunday we come to this table It's the Lord's table. He's prepared it for us in the presence of our enemies. And it confirms that we have been anointed by his spirit. We know we belong to him. We know that we're his people. We know that he's our king and he defends us and he provides for us because we come to this table. And what a glorious thought that the king who is sovereign over all things is the same king that submitted himself to the Roman scourge who was lifted up on a cross for our sins. And we're reminded of that. This bread is his body given for us, this blood. The blood of the new covenant shed for us and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And yes, we we know that God's word clearly declares his sovereignty over all things. But remember, the one who is sovereign is the Lamb of God. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. The one who loves you and gave himself for you. So let's come to this table knowing that our king meets us here. He's sovereign. He defends us. He provides for us. And remember that our heavenly father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him, in Christ. And we come to receive those blessings now. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.